Lord, we uh, know that your word is mighty. And so we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit that that word will be firmly planted in us. And uh, we ask, Lord, that you will transform us, that you will shape us into uh, the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. I've mentioned before and even recently that when I was 15 years old, I, you know, went through this year where I didn't really know if I believed in God or not. And so I was on this search and to see if God was real. And actually, it wasn't going very well. I, you know, I wasn't finding the evidence for God that I was hoping for. And then when I turned 16, I, I met some young people my age who told about how Jesus had become real to them and in their lives and had just tur- turned their lives around. And not only had he done that, but that, they, but that they said that, but I could see the change in them. And so I asked myself, is, is what happened to these people the same thing that happened to the people in the Bible who believed in Christ? And I found that, that this, the, the answer just seemed to be like rumbling and, and, and surging up within me, just wanting to cry out, yes, this is it. The same thing that happened in Scripture is happening to people today. And so I asked Jesus to do for me what I had seen that he had done for them. And that night, something flipped inside me. Um, Something began to change. Now, for everyone who belongs to Jesus, each story is unique. Uh, for some of you, you, you came to, to faith in Christ and relationship with him very gradually. For other, others of you, it was a, a moment in time. For some of you, you, can ne- you can't remember a time when you didn't uh, walk with Jesus by faith. And for others of you, it's happened very recently. What I would like for you to do now, and we do this every once in a while, is have you huddle up in groups of maybe three to five, something like that, and, uh, and respond to this question. Here it is. Who is one person whose faith in Jesus you admire and why? And if you can answer that in one, co- in one sentence, that would be ideal, okay? Just one quick thing about th- what you admire about that person and their faith. Um, and if you, as you huddle up, you kind of look around. If you see somebody who's alone beside you, say, hey, you want to join our group? And as always, you don't have to say anything if you don't want to. Feel free just to listen. But anyway, share about who is one person whose faith in Jesus you admire and why, okay? I'll give you a minute or two. Okay. It's, from what I can tell, you're, you, you've really kind of engaged in these conversations, so that's a, that's a cool thing. I've always found that in a church setting, when I ask this question, everybody has an answer. Everybody has somebody they've looked up to that has made an impression on them or someone that they kind of aspire to, to uh, follow more into their path in Christ. Uh, today and for the next five weeks, we're going to be exploring the Apostles' Creed. Now, what is the Apostles' Creed? It is a statement of faith that was developed in the early centuries of Christianity as a, base, as a summary of basic Bible beliefs. Okay? What is the core of the message? Now, why do we call the Apostles' Creed. What do the apostles have to do with it? Well, what we're saying is that it represents that core teaching 
that comes to us from the New Testament uh, from the apostles. And now, now there was a legend that, you know, maybe originally the, 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 the original 12 apostles wrote this creed, but there, there's really no evidence to support that. The majority of the creed came to us from uh, back in the second century. It was, there was an, kind of an earlier creed called the Roman symbol. Uh, and the section of the Apostles' Creed that we're looking at today comes directly from that, word for word, from that second century uh, creed, the Roman symbol. And now the first line of the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Now, here's the next line, and that's what we're going to focus on today. So let's say it together, shall we? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Now, the seed of this, I mean, all of this language comes right from the New Testament. Uh, and, and the seed of this comes uh, from the, the time when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Another seed uh, from this part of the Apostles' Creed uh, comes from the, the, really the oldest maybe creed is Jesus is Lord. And we find that in a few times, several times in the, in the, in the Bible. Uh, we find it in Romans where Paul says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Many martyrs have died for those three words. Jesus is Lord. In the second century, more and more people were becoming, uh, following Jesus and putting their faith in him. But it could come at a cost because uh, the Roman Empire considered Christianity an illegal religion. You know, it was forbidden. So Christians developed a secret code to identify themselves to each other. And it was this. It was the symbol of the fish. Now, why did they use that? In, in Greek, the, the word for fish is ichthus. Uh, if, if you, uh, I suppose, are studying, you know, there would be ichthology. I'm not sure. Anyway, but it's, it, it's the word ichthus. And the Christians used it as an acronym. Uh, and the five letters of the word ichthus uh, stood for these five words. Here they are. Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. That was their secret code, the sign of the fish. And in those days, you might put that little sign of the fish on the doorframe of your house, and most people wouldn't know what that meant. But other Christ followers would, and it remained a secret code. According to one ancient story, when a Christian met a stranger on the road, the Christian might draw an ark in the dirt. Simple, partial uh, outline of that, that, that fish outline. And if the stranger drew the other ark, well, then they know. Then they knew that they were in the company of a fellow Christ follower. Here's something else I thought was interesting. Here's a picture of a Christian burial stone dating back to the early 200s A.D., so early 3rd century, uh, and it uses that fish image. And it says in Greek along the top, fish of the living. So that was part of their expression of faith. You know, where we might use a cross, some people use that fish. So let's go back to our creed and the statement, 
I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. First, let's look at the name Jesus. Now, I want you to know that Jesus was not the only person named Jesus back in those days. It was a well enough used name. Uh, Jesus' native language was Aramaic. And so when, his, when he was a boy and his mother called him in for dinner, she might say, Yeshua, Yeshua. That's how they said his name. It was the uh, Aramaic version of the Hebrew name, Yahshua, or as we would pronounce it, Joshua. And like most Jewish names, it had a meaning. And this one meant, the Lord saves. Now, but for Jesus of Nazareth, this was not only the meaning of his name, it was also his identity. Remember how the angel uh, spoke to Joseph in a dream? And then the angel said that the baby about to be born to his fiancée, Mary, uh, it says, you are to name him, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He was going to be the Savior to save his people from their sins. So when we say, I believe in Jesus, we're claiming, we're saying that he lives up to his name. We claim him as our Savior, and he not only saves us from the guilt and condemnation of our sins, he saves us from being slaves to our sins. He sets us free, and that's why we love that name. And the next comes his title, Christ. Christ comes from the Greek word for Messiah. And some of you remember, because we talked about this back in January, uh, that the Messiah means one who is anointed, kind of like anointed with oil. And all of Israel's kings in the past were, were anointed with oil. That showed that they were chosen by God to reign. Uh, my, my colleague, Pastor Adam Hamilton, tells about watching a video of Queen Elizabeth uh, at her coronation in 1953, and she's still at it, right? And she was anointed with oil, as were the kings and queens before her. The Archbishop of Canterbury poured oil into a spoon, placed his thumb in the oil, and smeared some on the queen's hands and below her neck and on her forehead in the sign of a cross. It demonstrated that she was reigning on God's behalf, that her hands, her heart, and her mind were set apart for God's purposes. So the word Christ is a royal title. It means Jesus is king. Now, we're Americans. We don't, we don't really respond we don't really react very positively to the idea of having a king. We, we proudly set up a government without a monarch. But I also have come to realize that human nature is, is such that either consciously or unconsciously, we will all be ruled by something. And so in our creed, we are claiming that Jesus is the Christ. He is our king. The Apostles' Creed, kind of going back to Peter's confession, uh, identifies Jesus as God's Son, His only Son. Now, what does that mean? Because aren't we all kind of God's sons and daughters? You know, why, why would that say that, that, that Jesus is God's only Son? 
I, I know that there are some religions that say that, that Jesus is God's son, but only in the same way that we all have the potential to be. They, they claim that we can all be what Jesus is. But Christians affirm that Jesus' relationship with the Heavenly Father is unique. He said, I and the Father are one. He said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And, and this is what the same thing that people experience, too. They experience Jesus, and they experience, through Jesus, they experience God. Uh, one time when Jesus was uh, with his disciples on a boat and a, and a terrible windstorm came up and, and waves came up and they were crashing into the boat and meanwhile Jesus was napping in the back of the boat and the disciples, they were just freaking out and they were panicking and so they wake, they wake Jesus up and, and, and uh, they say, you know, you've got to help us, we're all going to die. And so Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. He said, peace, be still. And suddenly the wind and the water were calm. And the disciples turned to each other and they said, who is this guy? You see, they had just witnessed him do something they thought only God could do. Another time, Jesus set free a man who was possessed and tortured by demons and, and Jesus restored him to his right mind. And then Jesus instructed him to go home and and. Tell how much God has done for you. And it says that the man went home and told how much Jesus had done for him. When people experienced Jesus, they knew they had experienced God. Another question you might be asking is this. Uh, is there a difference between calling Jesus God's son and calling him God the son? Well, there, there are some differences, but, but I would say essentially they point to the same truth. Um, the church has always taught that Jesus is not half God and half human. He is fully God and fully human. As, as one of our other creeds, the Nicene Creed says that he is true God and became truly human. Uh, the scripture reading that, that uh, Larry read for us a little bit ago, I chose that one because there's some really rich language in there about the identity of Jesus. Here's a couple uh, passages from that. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God. That's powerful, isn't it? God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. I also want to add one thing, and I think it's important to recognize that, that we're using limited language, in a sense. When we, when we say that Jesus is God's Son or God the Son, we're using our uh, language from our limited human experience. We, we understand fathers and sons, right? Uh, but we may be using language to describe something that is far beyond our capacity to truly comprehend. And so we recognize that this is true, and yet maybe there's much greater truth that lies behind it. Now, before I conclude, uh, there's something I, I want us to do something different today. We don't usually do this. We're going to sing a song, but we're going to sing it as part of the message. All right? Uh, the hymn, In Christ Alone, 
was written back in 2001, and it has quickly become a favorite in a lot of churches. Um, so, you may not know it, but I think the tune is, is pretty easy to, gra- to uh, come along with. Uh, Donna and, and Bucky are going to lead us, so will you stand with me and let's, let's sing this song. alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are still took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross standing and say that three-word creed that is behind all our creeds, Jesus is Lord. So together, loud and strong, we say, 
Jesus is Lord. Caesar, ruler of the Roman Empire, claimed to be Lord of Lords, but we say Jesus is Lord. You know, the culture tries to tell us what to believe and what to do, and there have been times when we have followed the way of the crowd, but now we say Jesus is Lord. At times we have craved the praise of people, seeking popularity and fame, and we have made it our idol. But now we say, Jesus is Lord. At times we have made the pursuit of money and its privileges the most important thing in our lives, but no more. Now we say, Jesus is Lord. At times we have said, I'm in charge of my life. I'm going to run it my own way. But we have seen what that leads to, haven't we? So we've given up our way for his way, and we say, Jesus is Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, you are King of kings. Your name is above every name. You are the world's rightful ruler, and one day you will bring all things to yourself. One day we will see you exalted above every earthly power, above every false god, one day, at the sound of your name, every knee will bow and every tongue will say that you are Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. And now, let us worship God with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He descended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting.